This is an ABC podcast. Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. Fakalo falahi atu and welcome to Can You Be More Pacific? I'm Dean Hallatow and as always I'm joined by my wonderful co-host Sarah Nangama. Sarah. Bulla Dean and Bulla to all of our listeners. Feels fantastic to be back in the studio. My goodness, we have a jam-packed show today. Coming up in the next hour, we take a look back at the weekend in sport. We have an interview with Leonie Burns from Fijiana Draw, and we have a new question for our favourite segment. You can ask that. But as always, we have to check in. How's your week been going? Well, I feel bad because I, I come in every week and I don't have many stories other than like I'm hanging out with my family, which is awesome. I love hanging out with my family. Hashtag family man. Yeah, I, I, that's that's my life. I go to work and I go home and hang with my family. So I don't really have a lot. I'm out of isolation. I'm here. That's good. It was a little bit different last week. So um, the family's happy to be back out of isolation and it's we've all ticked the box. So hopefully that's good news for us for the future. But always love hearing your stories anyway, Sarah. So what do you got for us? Well, firstly, glad to hear that everyone's in full health. And yes, great to see you in the flesh. Um, my story. Well, breaking news in Sarah Nangala's life. I have officially resigned from my full-time job. Oh, everyone gasp. <gasps> <laughs> so um, my last week, sorry. Yeah, this was my last week and I finished up uh, yesterday. So feels crazy. I've been at Sydney Uni for five years, but I just feel like it's come, that might, you know, it's the end of an era. Um, I've grown up a fair bit. Yesterday I sent a farewell email and it was, uh, it was actually quite sad. It was very sad. But, you know, <laughs> they actually plan to have like this really big carry on at Marley Bar. But I actually have a semi-final tonight. So I said, look, guys, might have to postpone it. But I'm, I'm still determined to keep it. So I'm the person that she's left. But she's getting everyone together in four weeks' time to still get around her. <laughs> you're, you're like the John Farnham farewell tour. Oh, it mate, just rolls you, on. Yes, exactly. It's it's never going to stop. It's you never going to stop. You know when you send your farewell email, like because yes. I, I haven't sent one yet. Uh, I'm sure at some point I will. But when you send your farewell email, does it like cut off straight away, or do you wait for the replies to come in? Because oh no, I. <laughs> you're, it's funny you ask that. I waited for the replies to come in. I was like, no, get around me again. Get yeah, around yeah, me yeah. again. Because like obviously people are naturally inclined to just reply and like, oh, you know, we're all the best. But it was it was nice. Like this week, I've just been so spoiled. Walked into the office on Monday. It was like bunting balloons. Got a balloon delivery. There was champagne. And then this is something. I my my beautiful colleague, her and I have shared an office for the past year. Like really, really close. And she was like, oh, I have this present for you. I'm like, oh, okay. And I open it and it's like this really beautiful pair of earrings. And I'd never really recognized the brand, but I don't know. Do you sometimes just like think, I'm just going to go like Google it. Like, what is this brand? You know, try and search it. The girl bought me a $500 pair of earrings. What? Yeah. I'm I'm like, I feel so blessed, but I'm also like, this is too much. I can't believe you're leaving her. Oh. I know. <laughs> I know. You don't get colleagues like that twice. And the thing is like, she's so young. She's like 21. Wow. I know. That's I've, impressive. It's it's really special and, and she's really nice. kind. So I was like, I have to I have to do something nice, like take her out to Bondi, like to the iceberg or something, get around her. So yeah. anyway, that's my life. Um giving up work, um, extravagant gifts, life's good, semi final tonight, let's go Waratahs. Go the Tars. Yes. Now our top story from the weekend was this had just happened across a couple of games in the NRL was pitch invaders. There seemed to be um, people just jumping fences and running on. Beating, evading security. I don't know if security were on the job when it happened, but yeah, it happened first up in the Gold Coast. So there was a, a young lady jumped the fence and made it all the way down to Mitch Moses who was about to kick a goal. Now, you're not allowed to do this. And so she kind of got a result that 
wasn't unexpected when a pitch invader happens. She got cleaned up by a security guard. Like, tackle technique on point. And, uh, yeah, it was like, oh, like that was the kind of feeling when she got hit. I think it's very funny. I know pitch invaders are actually the biggest punish in the game, particularly for players. But I think the fact that it's a it's a woman that's run on and, you know, she described in the interview that as she kind of got this reaction from the crowd, she thought, this is my time to take my shirt off. And then she did, she did think maybe I should take my bra off. But she's like, nah, that's a little bit too much. But um, I guess everyone's taking to the internet thinking that maybe the security guard was a little bit too harsh on her. Yeah. yeah and, um, the chairman of the Gold Coast Titans has also spoken out saying that perhaps they did go overboard, but she was like, I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly what I was going to get if I was going to get caught, which obviously she did. So I don't know. I think it's funny, but. <laughs> it was, it was like, this is, there's the fine line here for me because it's entertaining when something like that was pretty harmless and she didn't get close to, well, she got reasonably close to Mitch Moses. Now on Sunday at Shark Park was a different story. There was four pitch invaders, the first of which ran onto the field carrying a flare. So this this is pretty dangerous. And it got he got right in amongst the players in the middle of the field. Like both teams, the play was stopped for a mistake or uh, something like that. So he'd got right in the middle of the field carrying this flare. He was obviously fairly inebriated. He was, he was quite drunk, I would say. And um, the flare was just letting smoke off everywhere. They're, they're actually quite dangerous, I'm told. Yeah, I've, I've never definitely. been close to one. but. Um, it can can burn you and um, yeah, pretty pretty dangerous. And the players really didn't know what was going. It took a long time for security guards to get out there. And you know that situation there, it, it wasn't funny. It wasn't entertaining. It was just dangerous. Yeah. And then as he's been swarmed by security guards uh, and and taken off, their attention's obviously on him. Three more come to, come over the fence and uh, take on the field. One tackled a security guard. There was some footage floating around of a, of a pitch invader tackling a security guard back. So he, he gone, I'm going to just tackle this security guard because he's going to try and stop me. It was a, and that was a, um, a pretty decent hit. So assault for one from a pitch invader. Um, yeah. So that was really ugly and not something that obviously the, the club's got to deal with. Yeah. Well, now that you say that, I'm thinking pitch invaders, you're bad. Yeah, there's, there's a fine line because it can get dangerous. And the whole point, like you have a laugh when it happens but then you realise, well, this is actually quite dangerous. And back in the day, Monica Sellers, who's a tennis player, I don't mm. know, it's probably before your time, Sarah, because uh, this was a long time ago, um, a, a crazed fan jumped on at a, one of her, was it Wimbledon? I think it happened. I, don't, I can't remember. Anyway, um, stabbed. She got stabbed in the back by a, a crazed Okay, fan. now you're making me really scared. <laughs> to all of our listeners, if you are someone who's entertaining the thought of being a pitch invader, it's a no. Yeah. It is a hell of a no. Plus there's a big fine, five, up to $5,000 or something I don't like have $5,000 just yeah. to run on the field for the lol. Anyway, <laughs> pitch invaders out of the way. There was plenty of sport that still occurred over the weekend, starting with the AFLW grand final last Saturday. So the Adelaide Crows have been a dominant team within that competition for the, since its inception. Uh, for six years, they've won three, and they got their third on the weekend uh, against the Melbourne Neemans. They won 4-5-29 to 2-4-16. This is a huge, huge result. It was a highly anticipated grand final and the girls definitely gave a spectacle of uh, AFL. Adelaide Crows, too strong. Melbourne Demons, I kind of thought that they would have it in them, but uh, the Crows. Winning streaks do something in grand finals. They they do. When you you start... When you have that sort of habit of winning, you're always like in such a young competition that they, they they're always a force. No doubt their team's always strong. But you're right, Melbourne Demons they took down uh, Brisbane the the week before, mm-hmm. so we thought maybe there were a chance to shake it up. Unfortunately, they couldn't do it. And obviously, ABC's uh, executive producer of sports, Tim Verrills, was quite happy because he's a Crows man. 
Oh, Tim's happy. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> Turning our attention to the AFLM, we hit round four and the West Coast Eagles took on the Collingwood Magpies, defeating them 14-3-87 to 10-14-74. Yeah, good result for the West Coast Eagles because it's their first win for the season. So Nick Natanui, um, no doubt he'll our be guy. Ha- Our guy. No doubt he'll be happy with their first result. First of many for the West Coast Eagles, no doubt. Yes, they need to clock a couple more. They do. They They really do. do. Over to the NRLW. We had the grand final and it was incredible. The Dragons faced the Roosters and the final score was 16-4, making the Roosters your champions for the 2021 season. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was an incredible match. Uh, Sarah Tongatuki, who picked up the Karen Murphy medal for the best player on ground in the grand final. Uh, She was up before the judiciary during the mm-hmm. week. So the fact that she was on the field was was great for the Roosters and uh, she put in a really strong performance. One break that she made, she put this footwork on on the fullback, Sarah, uh, Emma uh, Tonegato. Tonegato, and that step was like something you see from wingers and outside backs. Front rowers just burst through, bang, off the left foot step, uh, made a clean break. It was uh, good to watch, but she was strong for the whole game. And once again, the Roosters uh, showed plenty of grit. They were down 4-0 after like, a minute and a half. So for them to, um, you know, dig deep, get that result, it was uh, really good to watch. And I tipped the Roosters, so I'm pretty happy about that result. (laughs) (laughs) We love a a tip when it works out favour. No, on that note, the NRLW Awards uh, did also happen. Dally M winner of the year is a joint one between Millie Boyle and Emma Tonigato, two outstanding players. Millie plays for the Brisbane Broncos and Emma Tonigato, who you alluded to earlier, plays for the Dragons. In the Dragon side, they named their Player of the Year, which also was a joint award by PNG superstar Elsie Albert and again Emma Tonegato. Yeah, well done to Elsie. She had a, a great season. You watch any of the Dragons games for that whole season, she features on the highlights reel. She was like in defense, just crunching opposition players, and um, she managed to pick up a couple of tries for the season, I believe. I believe so, yes. Yeah, but she was a handful every time she carried the ball, and uh, she looked like she really enjoyed herself. So well done, Elsie. It was. Uh, just reward for, for a season that she had. Now over at the Eels, uh, their Player of the Year award. Little surprise, but still very well. She picked up their Player of the Year. Another fullback killing it in the uh, NRLW. Unfortunately, she picked up an injury in the last game, so she's in rehab at the moment. But uh, again, uh, an outstanding season. Yes, congratulations to her. All these fullbacks just doing incredible fullbacks. things. Fullbacks. Wouldn't have an idea about that. <laughs> congratulations to the girl. We'd love to see it. NRLM round five. Hello. What's what's cracking in this arena? Well, there was a huge match up in Redcliffe last Friday night. The Warriors defeated the Cowboys 25-24. This was a, a seesawing battle. It was back and forth. And um, the man that returned home for the Warriors, Sean Johnson, what a class player he is. He was the one that got them over the mark in extra time or golden point. There was a couple of pretty wayward attempts, some ugly drop goal attempts, but he nailed one. And actually, his, his attempt wasn't great either. He just drilled it over the crossbar, and this is how it went. 22 out now. It comes to Johnson. Running start. It's flat. And this time, Johnson makes no mistake. It was the ugliest kick you've ever seen. But Sean Johnson for the Warriors wins it with a minute 50 left in Golden Point. I mean, if I was Sean, not sure if I would be happy if someone said, that's the ugliest kick ever. 
Well called, Spriggy. That was. No, I think that's incredible, though. One point difference. I love games like that where it comes down to those fine moments. Yeah, and the, look, the Cowboys will be disappointed because they put a lot into that game, but the Warriors too strong. And Sean Johnson after, afterwards, when he was speaking about that moment, it was really nice. So he talked about his family being back home in New Zealand and looking forward to getting home to see them, but also just what it meant to him to be back in a Warriors jersey. He was a Warriors supporter as a kid. His whole family supported the Warriors, and uh, he's back winning games for him. So well done, Sean. Beautiful. Other matches for the round, uh, the Roosters 24 defeated the Broncos 20. That was a big performance from the Roosters up in Brisbane, which is always a tough place to travel. The Broncos have had a bit of an up and down year, but still really competitive. Yeah, Yeah. They're they're playing consistently, Um, but the Roosters, uh, they just are a team that find the moments, find big moments and it can get a win. That a a really big win up there against them last year in the the corresponding match, but um, good performances. Joseph Manu, he's He's out of this world talented, right? I know he's a handful. I feel like every time, I think every single show that we've had so far since the NRL M has been on, we have been covering his name. If he's not setting up tries, he's scoring them himself. Yes, that is very true. Another man that continues to rise for the Roosters is Satili Tupanua, uh, young back rower, very skillful. He also crossed the line. Plate 15 out. Open right it goes. Kiri running laterally, pops it up for the infield straightener from Maria Hargreaves, get beyond the 10, and only eight metres out when stopped. A try here would ice it, you'd think. Left-hand side, Watson. Gives to Walker. Grubber for the in goal. Oh, he set up to Panura as well. The kid's got all the tricks. Try, Roosters. Wow. He's incredible. He's really, like, I always watch him because I always spot him. He has the long hair, right? Yes, yeah. Long wears a head tape on his head. I just, he, to me, he is the most, he he just makes metres all the time. He's, he's because like, he's so like he, he looks like he's so skinny and tall. Yeah. I just don't expect him to make as many gains as he does. He's, he's like really effortless too. Like yes. he looks like he's just gliding around the field and um, he Walk puts course. yeah he puts he puts a lot into his his performances. So well done, Satili. Uh, the last match that I highlight for the weekend was the Eels up against the Titans. This was another close one, but the Eels for me just continuing to show why they're like a premiership contender this year. They have been for a few years, but um, this year I think is where they're, they're really pouring all their energy into to being the team that, that goes all the way. Uh, they won 26-20 to 20 over the Titans. This was a return match. They only played each other a few weeks ago, but up in uh, the Gold Coast this time. And uh, tries to Bailey Simonson and also Dylan Brown. Last play, Parramatta, 10 out hard on the right. Rain passes centre field. Moses with the kick for the in goal area. It's ricocheted into the air. Dylan Brown's caught it. Dylan Brown's caught it and planted it, I think. Yes, yes. Parramatta try. The Eels have come up with an answering try. I want to see Parramatta in the final four. Yeah. yeah. They deserve to be there. Yeah, They've got such a talented team. Um, good depth. Good depth. Dylan Brown, like him and Mitch Moses as a, as a pair combination, they're so good. Like the coolest guys in the competition. <laughs> he did a fair bit of swagger. Like Dylan Brown in particular. <laughs> Loves himself. <laughs> <laughs> Swagger loves himself, same thing, yeah. (laughs) And in signing news, the West Tigers haven't had a lot to celebrate this year so far, but um, they've signed a young Cook Islands player, Rua Natikoda, who will be uh, with the team from 2023 and 2024. It's great news for the young man and and also for the Tigers to be investing in their future. Yes, it is a huge um, achievement, and it's just so great to see even more Pacific Islander players being added to the competition. So no doubt we will monitor um, his journey and look forward to seeing Kid Up in 2023. Yes, we will indeed. Now over to the Super W. What was happening on the weekend, Sarah? 
So in the Super W, there were only two fixtures because we're now coming to the crunch time of it all. Fijian Drua took the ACT Brumbies and defeated them 17-7. Drua have already solidified their place in the final. So for the ACT Brumbies, it was their final uh, final game for the season. This was actually a pretty solid result considering that they were able to only hold Fijian Drua out for two tries. So um, really, really sad to see ACT Brumbies because I kind of thought that we'd probably see them in the in the 2v3 fixture um, that will be played tonight. But um, nonetheless, very impressed with Fijiana Draw. And later on, we'll catch up with Leonie Burns, who is one of the players on the side. The fixture that I was involved in and most excited about is the New South Wales Waratahs up against the Queensland Reds. We defeated them 46-0 to out at Marylands. It was a game that we genuinely took very personally because we had lost the week prior to Draw. So we thought, um, you know, as a group, it was... Time for us to clap back and clap back strong. Beware the wounded tars. Yes, the wounded tars. Um, but you know that that game we were just we were humming from the start. We we felt like we needed to take control because it was also the game that if we lost, we would have had to go to Queensland to play the two v three. And we didn't want that. We wanted to host a semi final here at home. So um, we got the we got the the treats. And so tonight we will uh, face off against Queensland Reds again to book a spot in the final. So there's a lot on the line. There is a lot on the line. You forgot to mention that you crossed for a try. (laughs) Try scoring machine. Look, be careful. Be careful (laughs) calling me a machine. It's taken me three years to cross the line again from the first and last time I scored a try. But no, it was, um, yeah, I was really chuffed myself because I don't really score tries in Super W. We actually had Matt Burke come to TARS training last night to do Jersey Prezzo. Absolute legend of the Waratahs and the Wallabies. And, um, he said something that stuck out to me. He goes, you know, as you continue to play football, as you, you know, play higher reps, you'll come to realize that you have less time and space. And I'm like, yes, that's the whole reason I never score enough tries. There's not <laughs> enough space for me. <laughs> you found some space. That was a sneaky try. It was a very sneaky try. It was like, it was very much like a, what a halfback would do, you know, like just pick it up and, and go over. So yeah, look, I've watched it about 30 times, but who's asking? <laughs> You have to repost it. Exactly. Oh, it didn't even make the highlights. Real. That's how unimpressive it was. <laughs> what about in the Super Rugby men's? Yes, we hit round eight in the fixtures to highlight is the Western Force went up against the Melbourne Rebels. Two sides who haven't had the strongest of seasons. They've only clocked two wins each, but the final score was 22 to 21. Very unfortunate for the Force, but I'm kind of happy for the Rebels. They've been such a wounded side. I think at the beginning of the season, they're looking at something of 17 plays missing off their roster. So for them to be able to get their dub against a pretty strong Force side is is a solid result. The Hurricanes took on the Crusaders and fell 24 to 21. That was the second match that the Hurricanes needed to play because of COVID. Um, Affecting one of their previous fixtures, they had to take on Moana Pacifica, where they ended 53-12. Very sad for Moana Pacifica, their captain, um, Christian, he took, there was like this piece of content that was circulating. There was a cameraman oh, in the middle that, of yeah. the circle and he was so, so emotional. Um, just, you know, telling the boys, you know, this one hurts because we didn't play the style of footy that we wanted to play and was so much better than that. So it also gives us a little bit of intel of, I guess, what's happening within that inner sanctum of they're struggling to get some wins. They've had some really solid wins clocking their first, but it's really competitive and, you know, they are a new side, but no doubt they will bounce back from this and finish on a stronger note this weekend. You know, I've seen this bit of content. You know what I like about this is that they, they care so much about losing games. Often you see, you hear complaints from, from fans seeing their team lose and how happy the players are after the game, walking around, slapping backs to their opposition and just having a bit of a, a chuckle about it. 
you can see that it means a lot to these to these guys. So I really like to see that. Obviously, want to see them get some more results go their way. Um, but yeah, that was that was a really cool piece that they, yeah. they put together. Well said. And in the Rugby Sevens arena, the Flying Fijians took out the competition. Yes, well done to the Flying Fijians. They welcome back their skipper, Jerry Tuai. So, we love that guy. Yeah, everyone loves Jerry Tuai. And, uh, no he's doubt, my cousin. Big, he's my cousin. <laughs> no doubt a big boost to their campaign in Singapore. And also, Manu Samoa were back for the first time in two years. They, they had losses to Australia, New Zealand, and USA, but they got some wins against England and Spain. So great to see Manu Samoa back in the seventh circuit after a COVID-interrupted um, couple of years. Yes, hopefully COVID is something that we don't talk about, but good to see them back in the fold. And the Vancouver Sevens comp will kick off this weekend um, on the 16th and 17th of April. Look forward to bringing the results of that one. Talanoa time on Can You Be More Pacific? This week for Talanoa time, we are joined by Leonie Burns. She is a winger in the Fijiana Draw side. Fijiana Draw joined the Super W competition this year and they have been incredible. Leonie is one of their star players and we're really, really lucky to be joined by her today. Leonie, welcome. Oh, thanks very much, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Well, let's just take it right to the beginning. Can you please tell us about your Fijian roots? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my mum's a Fijian. Uh, she's coming from Lomai Viti group and a village called Narai. So my heritage stems from her um, and my dad is Australian. So what about growing up yourself? What was, your, what was it like uh, growing up with exposure to your Fijian culture? Yeah, so um, very early on, I'd say probably from three months on, we were going on overseas trips to Fiji probably three times a year. Um, Mum had us exposed to, you know, the village culture. So we were always going into the villages, um, being exposed to the actual language. Um, Our grandma, my bumbu, used to speak to us a lot in Fiji growing up as well. Um, Even when she used to come home to Australia to visit us, you know, she'd be also exposing us to the Fiji culture, the food and the language. So my sister and I were very fortunate to have, you know, the Fiji culture exposed to us from an early age, um, but also having, you know, being brought up in Australia, you know, we had the Australian culture exposed to us too. So we were very fortunate. It's really special to hear about your memories growing up and having that exposure at such a young age because, you know, it's it's not often that you get that. But then the fact that you also were able to grow up in here in Australia, um, I guess both cultures really complemented themselves greatly. We now know you as um, a player in Fijiana Drua. Before we even get stuck into that, how did you get involved into sport? Ah, so I actually got exposed to sport from a really early age. So, I mean, initially my parents had us doing athletics, um, my sister and I. Um, so we were competing, at, you know, from school, athletics around about the national level. And then background also was still water rowing. We used to row, I used to row for N-Swiss and um, went into a world junior level for that as well. But Getting into rugby, we we started from high school from probably about the age of 15. Um, That's where we started being exposed to the rugby side of things. And also dad was a a rugby league player. Um, So he was also exposing us to a lot of, you know, my sister and I weren't boys. So we we just played rugby or threw the ball around with dad as well. So, yeah, we had a, a very athletic um, background. Um, We were exposed to all sports, soccer, 
hockey. We even did karate in there for a stint as well. So, right. yeah, very, very, um, yeah, broad range <laughs> that, of um, sports. <laughs> it does sound very broad. And and with, with rugby, is it something that you picked up the ball straight away and you're like, that's it, I love it, you know, this is going to be my thing? Um, it was a bit of a transition um, because we were really involved in athletics. Um, yeah, but coming out the back end of athletics, we were like, oh, okay, well, let, let's give it a go. We tried it at school and let's try it after school and went on to play for Raringa, um Rats and rats. also worked, yeah, the good old Rats, um, and also the Eastern um, Suburbs rugby team as well. And then it just kind of started to stem from there. Um, went to play for the Sydney representative team. Um, went into the Waratahs development team. And then after that, we I actually went to Fiji and started playing a bit for the Nandy Blazers in sevens and then went on to play for Fiji rugby sevens team in the IRB World Cup and then started to stumble onto Fiji on a drua. So it's kind of been a, a journey right through from 15. Yeah, and I love hearing your journey because you've you've really had you have such a colourful CV and you've played some really really important rugby. We've actually played rugby together, and one of my I guess one of my oh, strongest yeah. memories of you is that you were one of the fittest in our team. And hearing the fact <laughs> that you played so much sport, it makes so much more sense now. Now, like Fijiana Drua, this has been such an exciting addition to the Super W competition. There was word about it last year that it was going to be um, part part of the tournament, and then you guys have come in and absolutely dominated take me back to when you know that first moment I guess you were presented the opportunity to play for this side oh yeah um look to it started off with Josie Majors um she actually reached out to me and said oh look um Fijiana Dura are putting a squad together um are you interested in in putting your hand in I said oh I'll speak to my sister and spoke to Leilani and she goes, I'll go for it. It'll be a really good opportunity and it could also stem on to playing for the Fiji and the World Cup. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then um, was in contact with Mike Legg and Mike Legg um, had a squad of about 25 international players in, in a pool that he was going to select from for the international side. Um, out of that squad, it would have been about eight of us that were finally picked, which were coming from Japan, two from Japan. Um, there was also another four from New Zealand and two here from Australia. So it was so exciting to get the news from him that we had finally made the cut and just start going through their program for training. It, uh, it really, really intense. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever trained so hard with a rugby team as what I've I've trained with them. You can certainly tell in the style of play that that, that you're playing at the moment because you're so. Fa- that's one thing I noticed in, in watching is that you're so fast and yeah, the skills there, but you, you're relentless from start to finish. It's been um, really enjoyable to watch. I guess with players coming from so many different places, what's what was it like uh, trying to get to know each other and then you know get on the same page with the style of uh, rugby you're playing. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, to be honest with you, a few of us had played together before. Um, so a few few of the Fijian girls um, I, I'd played sevens with before, so I kind of already gelled with them. But it was a lot of – in that team, there is so many new players um, and so many young players, which is really, really exciting. But to try and get with 
gel with them initially. It took a little bit, I won't lie. Um, yeah, it probably took us about a week to two weeks to try and get into that, what they call the Fijiana style of playing, which is that offload game. Um, yeah, that took a little bit of getting used to, especially for, you know, a few of the other overseas girls as well. Well, it looks like you are all singing off the same sheet now because you are humming by the time that you take <laughs> the field. Just talk me through training. I've I've heard so many different whispers about what your training's like, but I assume that it's like, it, it's hardcore. You guys are doing a fair bit every single day in camp. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, it all started from pre-season, to be honest. They, we all put like really big hard yards in. Um, I'm not sure if you'd seen any of the footage that was floating around where the girls were actually put through military um, training camps. Rough. Yeah, so really rough, like going through mud pits, like the whole lot, um, running the Singatoka sand dunes. Um, they were, we were probably training up to four times a day um, into pre-season. And then coming into camp, um, yeah, lots of conditioning, lots of, um, you know, field time, lots of weight sessions. Um, yeah, it's from literally it starts from about five o'clock in the morning and it ends probably about six o'clock at night. So wow, it's, it's full on training camps. <laughs> that sound, that does sound ridiculously full on, but, mm-hmm. yeah. um, as you say, it's put you in, in really good stead for the season. Now, unfortunately for yourself, you're, you're, you're battling through an injury and you've had to um, sit on the sidelines. How has it been, one, the rehab, but also having to sit on the sideline and watch the games unfold? Yeah, look, it's um, it's been really tough to um, be seated on the sideline. Um, you know, you train so hard to be at this point and there's so much lead up to it to then for your journey just to stop, um, especially this close to the finish line. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's great just to still be here. You know, it's great to see the girls still going through the journey and, you know, seeing them getting so excited and so pumped up for the grand final ahead. Um, you know, some of these girls haven't even been overseas. So this is the first time for them and just watching them complete the journey coming up, it's just something else. That's really special to hear. I'm intrigued to know, um, you know, with your usual prep when you would be playing, like what would your game day ritual what would it be? My gay day ritual. Um, so I'd probably wake up first thing in the morning, um, probably about oh, five, five o'clock. Even then, on game day? Yeah, a few of us wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Well, this is depends because sometimes Rugby Australia like to, to fly us out super early in the morning to go on game day to go and play, but we won't get into that. Um, but <laughs> say less, say less. Oh, yeah, I'll say less. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like to get up. A lot of us like to get up early in the morning just to wake the body up. Um, even if it's on the gym, you know, just walking on the treadmill. Some of us will do a light jump, like run in the gym. We go at seven o'clock breakfast. Um, depending if the game, what time the game's on in the day, we might do a walkthrough of what our gameplay will be have lunch, then we'll go and um, go to the field probably 90 minutes prior to the game. You know, within that I'll be listening to my own playlist in the music in the bus or, you know, however transport that we're getting to the field, get there and then, um, yeah, game on. We're, we're switched over into to rugby mode pre-game. Um, the coach will start of getting us ready mentally and 
and then we just were in the um, hands of the coaches, really. I love that. What's one song I will find in your playlist? Oh, <laughs> um, DMX. DMX. Oh, <laughs> X going to give it to you. <laughs> I'm about that. Larry, before yeah. we wrap up, do you have any advice for young athletes? Oh, look, never give up on the dream. Um, put the hard yards in, put the work in. And it will always reward you in the end, but never give up. Beautiful advice. Well, we like to end with a little segment called Tip On, and it's basically 60 seconds of rapid fire questions. Are you down to play? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I think so. (laughs) Okay. Hala, over to you. All right. The clock is on. What have you been reading, watching, or listening to lately? Oh, God. Uh, Yeah. That's right. Next one. Again. <laughs> That's right. We'll jump to the next one. Who is your most annoying teammate? My sister, Lalani Burns. <laughs> Who is your sporting hero? Kathy Freeman. What would be your wrestler entrance song? DMX. <laughs> what was your favorite movie as a kid? Bridget Jones. <laughs> Who in your team is always on their phone? Oh, I'm not allowed to say that. Okay, fair enough. What's something that you could eat for a month straight? Um, chicken. The favorite, uh, Your favourite place you've travelled to? Yasawa Islands in Fiji. Nice. Which teammate has the best fashion sense? Jade. <laughs> Do you have a hidden talent? Uh, I can touch my nose with my tongue. <laughs> I that, love that, that one. Is, that's, that's a good so, hidden talent. I, I like that. so long. You whiz through them. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. We can't get you to do that talent on the, on the show because we don't know what it sounds like, so that's all right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> well, Leone, yeah, that could be a worry. <laughs> Leonie, thanks very much for joining us on Can You Be More Pacific. It's been a joy having you. We wish you all the best with your rehab on your shoulder and, of course, Fijiana Drua, all the best for the rest of the Super W competition. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. And Sarah, best of luck tomorrow. Thank you so much. That was Fijiana Drill winger, Leonie Burns. We wish her all the best for her recovery and for the rest of their season. You can ask that. Your chance to ask what it's really like to be an elite athlete on Can You Be More Pacific? So we're back with a, another question for our favorite segment, You Can Ask That. And for any of our new listeners, this is basically an opportunity for you to ask us anything. You can send it to us on Instagram at, at Sarah Nangama or at Dean Hallitau. Hala, this week's question comes from Sam in Brisbane, and it is, what is the relationship really like between head coaches and players? It's very friendly. They're very nice. They get along. It's... Um... Maybe in your experience, because you're Dean Hallitau, oh, no, the kindest guy in the world. <laughs> no, it's in, in my in my view, it's 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 pretty varied. I think um, a lot depends on uh, the position of the player, where like, where they are in the team. So, I'll give an example: halves, the seven and the six in rugby league, they would spend a lot of time with the head coach talking about structure and game and direction. Um, all the halves that I've known often end up doing two to three times the amount of video that the rest of the team would do because they have to basically implement the plan of the coach. You throw hookers in for that matter as well. So um, I think they'd have to have a pretty good relationship communication-wise. Whether or not they like each other, I, I don't know. And, and it also depends on coaches' styles. Some some coaches are very, um, 
authoritarian, I think is the word, that they, they will just say, this is what we're doing, da 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 they'll, they rule with um, hard love, I guess. Like they'll, they'll be very firm with their team and give them some direct instructions. And sometimes that might seem a little bit like cold or hard or whatever, mm. but um, it's, it's kind of, you're going out to battle. So you, you, you get used to it and you have, to, you have to deal with it that way. Um, yeah. Initial thoughts from yourself? Well, yeah, I like that you use the word varied because that's definitely my experience of it. I think depending on what the game structure is or what the game plan is for that week will really determine who is the flavor of the week for the coach. (laughs) (laughs) I actually went on this rant yesterday because um, Matt Burke came to training and he was like, okay, I'm going to take the kickers and we're just going to do kick. And, you know, some of the girls like, oh, well, can I come kick? And that coach is like, no, if you're a back rower, I don't want you in there. If you're a hook, because, you know, everyone wants to kick if Matt Burke's coming to do a kicking session. I walked away and I was like, Second rollers are the most undervalued players in this team. <laughs> Who's going to come and like lift me or show me a jumping technique? But um, on that note, what's the relationship really like? I think one thing that does influence it is selections. Um, yep. You know, if you're someone that regularly makes the game day 23, um, you probably have some sort of a relationship with the coach. And then often it can be a little bit more distant for those who don't make it or in one week and out the next and not really knowing why. So um, it, it's it's almost like what it could be like with your boss. Would that be a, a fair? Like yeah. your employer, like, you know, you're, there's obviously mutual respect there. Um, when the, when you're doing something really good, you're probably not always going to be told if you're doing something bad, you know, you probably will be tapped on the, on the shoulder to have a, a quiet word too. But, um, for me, I've always respected the coaches who have been the clearest with their communication. Like, yeah. you know, everything does matter at training and I don't know, there's, you know, we've said it on this show before, like clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And I always vibe the most with the ones that, you know, can, can give me a hard word. Like if you're dropping me this week, don't say it's because you want to arrest me. Like, why are you really dropping me yeah. this week? Honesty is a big thing. Right? Oh, yeah. and it's, it really does influence a player's, um, I guess, perception of a coach as well. So, um, what's it really like? Look, it's just like any other relationship. Um, but it's one that you also treat with a lot of caution because you don't want to be rude. No, no, you you got to have like a certain level of fear for the coach. I think, like, yeah, respect. it's, like, it's respect. Boss, will probably yeah. translates yeah. to respect. You you respect them, and that I think the fear bit is like you have they have to be able to come down on you when when need be, like a parent or a boss or whatever. Like when you like you said, when you're stepping out of line, they need to be able to let you know um, where you're going wrong, but also come from a place of like improvement, like. Mm. Tell me what I'm doing wrong, but tell me how to improve at the same time. And then, you know, like if, if you have that respect, then you can take that information on board better. All the hard coaches I've had, I know they're coming from a place of like, I want you to be better and, yeah. it, and it drove me to be better. So I like that. One of those things with um, not going out for a kick as a back row, I had a coach that always said, I don't care who kicks. If you practice it enough, I'll let you kick in a game. If you're a front rower and you're going to and you want to kick, show me you're practicing at a training and I'll let you kick. I love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. I guess on that note, for any like aspiring athletes or, you know, it's often you may disconnect yourself from the coach because you fear them so much. But I would say, and I would really encourage you to really put yourself forward to your coaches, you know, ask them for feedback. They might say they might not have anything for you, but you putting yourself forward shows them that you care about your performance. And something that we constantly have to do, I do weekly is, you know, you have to clip your own games. Don't just clip all of your highlight stuff, like clip when you drop the ball or you miss the tackle, because that does also matter to the coach. So, so they know um, that, that you care for your performance equally. And yeah, I promise you that's never lost on a coach. That's great advice, Sarah. So on that note, 
to any of our listeners, if you have any questions, please hit us up. We love we love a chat, clearly. Um, find us on Instagram at Serenagama or at Dean Hallatow. Can you be more Pacific on ABC Radio Australia? Oh, my God. You're with Sarah and Dean talking all things sport across the Pacific. Don't go anywhere. We've still got our favourite socials. We tackle the tap headlines in the rock and take a look at what's coming up this weekend in sport. Can you be more Pacific? Keeping it social. It's time for our social media hunt that I go on every week. Scavenger hunt. The scavenger hunt. Keeping it social. And uh, we've gone into rugby league territory this week and you've come up with a really good one, Sarah. Yes. My social of the week comes from Jessica Sergis's Instagram. It is a photo of Kezi Apps embracing her and they're both quite emotional in it, but it's the caption within it that really resonated with me. And I'll just pull up a part of it. It says, knowing I was going up against my best mate made the lead up to this game much more difficult. We knew at the end of the game, one of us would be shedding happy tears and the other sad. I looked at Kez with two minutes to go and she mouthed, I'm so proud of you. I can't deal. That just gave me goosebumps I just got again. goosebumps as soon as you say it. I just think Kezi Apps is such a, you know, she, she's such a role model, but that right there is such a strong display of sportsmanship. And I, I love that. Like that's exactly what rugby, you know, or sport I should say is about is you get to play against your, your mates and one will always win and one will always lose, but it's about being able to still find the love at the end of it. And um, I think it's just a really, really beautiful moment captured there. And um, so well put by Jessica as well. Yeah, that, that was, um, that was a really nice post. Sarah was a really good pick. Um, always good to see friends compete but then come together at the end of the game and like you said Kezi is, is a really good role model she does a lot of community work for the Dragons as well as up as being a player so um great pick I like that yes um what about you Hala I hear you went into Rabbitohs camp I did go into Rabbitohs territory they they have some really good social content that they put up um there's a I'm not like super up with the trends but there's a, a trend never let your opponent or never let them know your next move is something that's on TikTok okay heaps of like um NFL, look at you spinning TikTok yarns at me NFL players have been have been putting these up but anyway so it's like you're filming something that is looking like it's going to go a certain way, but then you do something completely different. So the Rabbitohs had their spin of it. Um, so basically starts with Campbell Graham. He lies down to do a bench press, but instead he starts doing some um, some sit-ups and then there's footage of them passing a the ball. He think one player's going to catch it, goes to another player. There's another one where Blake Tuff is, is going for a, a goal kick, but he runs straight past the ball and tackles a crash pad. So it's basically trying to keep your opponent guessing, guessing I should say. The last one was from their game on the weekend where they threw it forward in the end goal and got a penalty against them. And it looked ridiculous. So that's how they sort of made light of a bad moment in the game for them. I think it's also one of those pieces of content where you have to head to the Rabbitohs Instagram yes. to check it out so that um, you understand what Dean's saying. But I, I can picture it in my head. I've seen it. It's yep. great. Yep. Well done, Rabbitohs. In the rut. Tackling the tough headlines in sport on Can You Be More Pacific? This week in the rough, we got a couple headlines to tackle. First being with the NRL, there was a homophobic slur made by Marcelo Montoya and he has been charged with four weeks. Yes, he'll miss four weeks of games. Marcelo, it actually went to the judiciary. So this happened in their game against the uh, Cowboys and it was picked up on the referees, Mike. So you could hear it across the broadcast. It wasn't um, It wasn't very nice. And you, it's you horrendous. Could, yeah, you could hear it 
clear enough to know that it didn't come from anywhere else but on the field. It was in, within earshot of the, the referee. And, yeah, Marcelo, um, you know, acknowledged that he'd done the wrong thing and he was very um, disappointed himself, as as was the club. They made a statement together. And um, I guess the the one thing that I've seen a lot of um, – a lot of chat online about this, about how come he gets four weeks and, you know, a player that head hires someone, you know, hits him pretty hard in the head and gets one week or, or whatever, using comparisons. Now, one, it's it's different in the rules in that this is a um, also an issue from a player conduct point of view. Like it's, we have an anti-vilification code in the NRL. If you breach that, you're actually breaching your contract. So part of that is you can't discriminate against someone based on race, religion, sexuality, background, whatever it is. There's a, there's a whole list of things that you can't discriminate against someone. And um, obviously he's used a homophobic slur, which is not allowed. People are saying oh, they're using it. They're comparing this to um, the James Tedesco incident from last year, which was a, a lighter sentence. Now that happened. And, and I've seen someone make fun of another journal for talking about that James Tedesco's happened. He started by saying James Tedesco's happened at night. That's not the issue. It happened away from the football field. So that was dealt with by the integrity unit because it was away from the field. It was out of the social scene and obviously it wasn't captured on broadcast or anything like that. This happened in a game. So dealt with by the judiciary, two separate places that it's been dealt so with. So judiciary handles incidents that happen on field and the integrity unit handles issues. That happen off field. Off field. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's really important for listeners who, who don't understand the difference. Yeah. So the, the one that, yeah, they're, they're judged on and um, the penalty is determined by different areas. Um, so that's something worthy to note. But yeah, obviously, you know, the NRL, one of its beliefs or one of its values and its pillars is inclusiveness. Mm-hmm. So if one of our players is, on, is, is captured on broadcast saying a homophobic slur, it's directly against what we stand for as a game. Yes. It's really, um, it's, it, it's really disappointing to hear this. I actually know Marcelo, um, personally, so I could only imagine the devastation, but it's also important to be able to pull this behavior up and also find players because yeah, there's, there's no room for it no. anywhere. Not at all. And certainly well not on the field. Well said, Sarah. Now in rugby, more, um, challenging, oh, not challenging, but more, um, controversy, I guess, in the other code where the Black Ferns, they actually did a, an internal review on the culture within the Black Ferns setup, so uh, management, coaching, um, and and the effect on players, and uh, it's been pretty damning to say the least. Yes, and all of this sparked up because of an Instagram post posted by Takura. Um, I believe it was late last year. She spoke about their experience or her experience, I should say, when the squad toured over to Europe and they had lost all of their four test matches. This made spectators kind of raise an eyebrow thinking, well, this is a Black Ferns. They're a really competitive team. You know, what, what's happening? And she spoke about how their coach, uh, Glenn Moore, was just not right for them. And um, she spoke about, I guess, his influence, his negative influence um, on her and her performance. And what it did do was it made New Zealand rugby um, conduct an internal investigation. The report has has made its way out and um, the issues highlighted in summary is there was poor communication leading to misunderstandings, issues of favoritism or ghosting, lack of timely feedback, insufficient investment in understanding how to coach women. Um, and as a result of, you know, all of the speculation surrounding it, all the reports, um, all, all the complaints, the coach still keeps his job. Yeah, I guess I was looking at the report. The first line of the report or the first the opening paragraph talks about what the purpose of it is, and it is to find what is working in the current environment 
whether there is anything that is not working, what can be improved, and whether there are any behavioral and or well-being concerns in the Black Ferns culture or environment. So it's not really, doesn't really talk about a change of people, mm. I guess. So cleverly worded, maybe, I'm not too sure. But yeah, it, it is a lengthy report and it's disappointing that it would need to get to a stage like this where it, it takes a player coming out publicly to complain about things for them to to want to improve. We, we always hear about the All Blacks culture and, you know, what a um, world-class, high, world-class, high-performing team they are. And, you know, the fact that this hasn't translated across to the Black Ferns is surprising to me. I, I can't believe that, you know, they wouldn't, you know, maintain the same level and standard of, I don't know, care for their players is what mm. you hear about. And again, I'm not inside the the All Blacks um, organization or the, the makeup there, so I don't know. But yeah, it just surprised me that this this was this was happening. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure there'll be some players within the the squad that'd be disappointed with him being able to keep his job. But um, you just have to trust that the people in power are making the right decisions by the squad. And um, I also hope that players will continually feel empowered to speak up if they are experiencing something that is not right, because it takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage. And sometimes it ends in the desired outcome, and sometimes it doesn't. But it should never dishearten us from from continually raising our voice. Well said, Sarah. And in football, 10 Solomon Island players have stuck around in Australia. Yes, it's great news. After the uh, Following the um, World Cup qualifiers, the players from the Solomon Islands have remained so that they can get a, a crack with an Australian side. There has been a player already picked up. Ali Mikawa has signed with the Adelaide City FC for the 2022 season in the second tier professional league. So it's great that uh, one player has already been picked up and hopefully for the others, uh, yeah, they get that opportunity. I love stories like this. Yeah. It's so good. Well, Dean, that's all we have time for today. It is, but if you missed the show or you just want to listen to the magic again, it'll be replayed on Friday, 2 p.m. PNG time. We can find all our episodes on the Radio Australia website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Bye there. What's all here? Can you be more Pacific? An ABC Sport production for ABC Radio Australia. This program has been funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade.